Hey, good to worship with you all today, and um, just as you guys uh, always do uh, this morning at uh, Brea service, we were uh, mentioning to really pray for um, all of us here and uh, for all of us here as well. If we could just pray for our brothers and sisters at our Brea church, and you know, as we continue to seek out um, sharing. Uh, the gospel in, in Orange County, North and South, as we try to do that. And if you have friends who live closer to Brea or whatnot, and to invite them to church um, and so on. So please keep them in prayer um, as we serve God and uh, share the gospel together. All right. Uh, you know, uh, today we look at this text and we're in the last chapter of Hebrews. And, uh, you know, when we started this daunting kind of book, uh, there was so much there, and it was almost fearful, and um, you all were like just waiting to get to chapter 13, because 1 through 12 built up to this, and now we're commanded to love. Now we're commanded to live. And there's um, a bunch of different commands in chapter 13, uh, and they're kind of somewhat categorized, but it seems sometimes a little bit random, but we, we look at the first three, and they're talking about the social aspect of the Christian. Who we hang with, what we do, how we um, treat people, and so on. And it is very different than what the world does. And so we're going to look at the first three and look at these three groups of people, the, the brothers and sisters in the church, um, the, the strangers that we're called to show hospitality towards, and thirdly, are those who are mistreated because of their faith, right? And how we ought to remember them. And it's, it's pretty basic that we see here. Uh, but when we think about our social Circles And some of us, if not most of us, have heard this when we were younger, uh, when we were little by our parents, you know, hey, make sure you don't hang out with those kind of kids. They're not going to benefit you. Hang out with the smart kids or the better kids or the more athletic kids or whatnot, then you're going to get better. And sometimes we've taken that, um, and we've taken it, we've kind of kept it with us all throughout our adulthood, and we still think that way. We still think sometimes as people, as someone I can get something from. Whereas the Christian says, people are some people, people are, uh, the people around me are opportunities for me to give something to. And so it is very different in this way. Do I just take or do I look at people as opportunities to give? And the gospel obviously is not just about now a bartering system with God. It is us just simply receiving. So simply uh, receiving so much we now give. Uh, there's a, uh, one episode of a show uh, Black Mirror, some of you have seen this, it's kind of like a modern day Twilight Zone. And uh, there was one episode called The uh, Nosedive, and the no this episode talks about kind of in the future. Uh, the future, um, people would get these contacts that are kind of implanted on their eye, and it would have face recognition. So every time you would meet someone, in, in your side, on the side, you would, you would see the person's name, and they would be rated on a scale of one star to five star. And so you would instantly see what star level they are. And if you are a 4.5 star or higher, you would get privileges. You would get discounts. You would get upgrades. You would get invitations um, to live in certain neighborhoods. So anyways, a story is about this young lady. And she's at a 4.4, right? And she wants to get a 4.5. And she's going around, and it's just kind of from her perspective, and she'll meet 
a stranger, the barista, and he's, she looks at him and she, he looks at her and she, he's a 3.2 and he's giving her a free cookie with a smile so that she would now give him a five star, right? And so she would give him a five star, he would give her a five star. She'd meet someone in the elevator and she would see the rating of this uh, person in the elevator and then she would say, oh, you are now, and now she would rate them a five star. But what it happens is she becomes... Uh, fake and very nice to everyone because she is terrified that someone will give her a low rating, right? And so it's this kind of struggle and she, there's one scene she's in front of the mirror and she's practicing her fake laugh, right? So that if someone said a joke or something, whatever, that is supposed to be funny and she is practicing her fake laugh, ah, you know, she's trying this so that that person would say, well, she laughed at my joke, I'm gonna give her a five star. And the story keeps going, right? And she gets, um, but it's this idea, and, and one part of the story is she's at work, and someone at work now offers her um, a free milkshake, and he's walking around, this guy's walking around with a tray of organic, some kind of milkshake, and he's like, would you like one? And she looks at his face and sees that he's like a three-star. And so she rates him as a five-star, and she's talking with him, and then she looks around the office, and everyone is looking at her like, what are you doing with a three-star? Like you're, being, you're interacting with a three-star, and everyone ignores him. Right? And he's desperately trying to move up, because as a three-star, people started shunning him. And really, this points to um, how maybe even uh, we think of ourselves today, or definitely our next generation of kids might think of themselves as, how am I perceived? What can I get? And we look at people. And we might say, boy, that person's a five-star. I have something to gain. I'm going to fake laugh. If I am seen with you, it'll lower me. So I'm going to just try to avoid you. And that's how the world is in a sad way. But the church comes along and shatters all of that. And that, that same mindset, whether it's in the future or whether it was in the past, was always there. People judging each other right away. First impressions. Um, and we see that the Christian comes to a relationship, not just to see what can I get from this person, but the Christian says, what can I give? Because the gospel was not about what can I now give to God and get in return. It was only I received. And so as people who have uh, believed the gospel, it changed everything. You know, it changed, you go back in church history, and the church, the appeal of the church was the unity and also the, now, uh, the love and acceptance of those who were considered less. You know, some of the quotes here, uh, Luchin of uh, Samosata in the second century said this. This is a uh, non-Christian's critique of Christians, and this is what he said. The poor wretches, talking about Christians, have convinced themselves, first and foremost, that they're going to be immortal and live for all time. Furthermore, their first lawgiver persuaded them that they are all brothers of one another. And so this is the critique. But the critique says, boy, they treat each other like brothers. Uh, Larry Hurtado in his book, Destroyer of the Gods, he goes through the list of all these uh, critiques and what people, the non-Christian writers of the day said about him, uh, about Christians in the first and second century. And one of the things that uh, was said was by Celsus. And I quote Hurtado, he says, Celsus, portray Christians as simpletons, right? 
uh, that they uh, welcome the worst kinds of people into their fav- uh, fellowship. Uh, whereas other religious movements, boy, they had to go through a purification process, testing and so on, to even get in. So he was saying, boy, these Christians, they just let anyone in. They accept anyone. They treat everyone with dignity. Even the one stars, they bring them in. You can imagine uh, in the Christian world after Acts chapter 2 and as the church is coming together, you know, what would happen is the the Roman calendar was a 10-day work week. The Christians would worship every seven days. And so oftentimes, church service would be now on the evening of a work day, right? It just happened to be the Roman work day. The Jewish calendar was different. But what would usually happen is the, the rich Christians, there were those who were rich, they owned businesses, they owned a lot, they never worked with their hands. They would gather early, they have all day that's free. And so they would bring the best of foods and the best of wines, and they would get together and have a meal and enjoy the fellowship. But what happened is in the beginning, it would just be the rich Christians would gather as they wait Later on, as the day would end, the middle class or the normal Christians, right, like a lot of, like, like us, they'd have to wait till they got off work and they would now rush on over with their kids and they would join the church and they would now join in on the food and have their time. But at the end, the latest group to come would be the slaves. The slaves of the first century, they would finish tidying up the animals. They would have to put the children away of their masters. And they would have to finish cooking and cleaning. And after all the chores were done and dinner time is done, they would now rush over to the church. So can you imagine how the rich might look at the slaves who are coming in late. Their garments are dirty. They're hungry always. The rich people now have had a couple glasses of wine and some good food, and now things might be said that are insensitive. And here it's in the midst of that that the writer of Hebrews says, continue in brotherly love. Because as that continued on, it's easy now for the rich to look down on the poor. It's for those in power to look at the powerless that come in late. Oh, gosh, just save some leftovers for them. Why do you guys eat like this? Don't you have enough? And it's in the midst of that, the beauty of the church is seen where people who are now the rich, people who are slaves, they're gathered together as brothers and sisters. And that's the first thing that we're told, continue in brotherly love. It might have started, boy, conversion, hey, I want to start living for God in this way. But as time goes on, As the years pass, it's like this even for us in the modern church today. We get to know someone, and you get to really know someone, and after a while, we're not that impressed with them. There's nothing new about them. We know everything about them. And we start judging them. Oh, they're this. Oh, they're that. Uh, But it's in the midst of that. He says, continue in brotherly love. Philadelphia, right? We get that word uh, from this phrase, brotherly love. It means literally from the same womb, You're from the same womb. And those of you with siblings, you know how it is. You may not hang out all the time. You may not be friendly all the time with your siblings, but yet, they're your siblings. And if you grew up with a sibling or a younger brother or sister, they've taken your stuff, stolen your clothes, you know, whatever it is, and they have just infuriated you at times. But yet, they're still your brother or sister. You know, when you hear a speech at a wedding by the best man, 
maid of honor, and they often reference their friends. Right? They often, to pay them a compliment, to express to the people who are in the band, and you could now be mad at, but yet we're still connected. She is like a sister to me. We grew up. And we say that often of others, and the church is a beautiful place because the church today is the place where people could come from any background. We say there is a brotherhood and a sisterhood here. There are no other places. There are no other clubs. There are no other membership types of places that gather people from all different walks of life. The church is the place. And so we're called to live in this way. You know, there was a study done uh, by Harvard, and it's been going on. It last, it's been going on for almost 80 years, and they followed people, um, X amount of people from their teenage years to see um, about their life, what, how long they lived, where fulfillment came from, and so on. And today it's being uh, directed by uh, Robert Waldinger, a psychiatrist at um, Harvard Study of Adult Development. And so it started in 1938, and uh, now there's only, they say, 19 of the original participants who are still alive. They're all in their mid-90s and so on. But the conclusion they came to is this, that it was not so much of the material goods that they had, right? that the satisfaction they got in life were kind of twofold. Um, one was achievements, but greater than just achievements. And all of us love achievements, but greater than achievements was now a social relationship, a connection. And so I just quote here, um, right, that uh, they say uh, how satisfied they were in their, it was about their relationship with people who were the most satisfied in their relationships at the age of 50 were the healthiest at the age of 80. And uh, Dr. Waldinger says, good relationships don't just protect our bodies, they protect our minds and our brains, right? So the idea, right, and I say this, right, today, it is far better for you have a donut with someone, right? Than to eat kale all by yourself at home, right? Can I get an amen? Amen, right? Go and have a donut today. Say, hey, brother, let's have a donut today, right? It is far healthier for you to have a donut together with the people of God in a relationship than to be going by yourself, eating kale juice and doing whatever you're trying to do. You're going to live better and longer. It affects us in this way. We are better together. And so if this is true, I have to come into this place. And I want all of you, some of you are old timers at church, some of you are new, some of you are, you have titles and positions, some of you don't, but we all have to come to church thinking, what can I give? If love has to continue, I can't come to church saying, what can I receive? What do I gain? But I got to come and say, what can I offer? What can I give? What can I share with someone? Can I befriend someone? Can I share my life with someone? Can I hear and give a lending ear to someone that needs to share? So that's the first category. The second category we see here is strangers. You know, when we're little, right, the things that we learn kind of stick with us, right? If you ever catch on fire, what do you do? You stop. Drop and roll, right? And if you ever see a stranger, what word rhymes with stranger? Stranger, danger, right? Um, and sometimes you get confused. You don't want to do it the other way, right? You see a stranger, stop, drop, and roll. No, you don't want to do it that way, right? But we think stranger, danger. 
And let's be honest, you re, we, as we read this verse, some of you were like, oh my gosh, I gotta let stranger danger into my house? Is that what it's saying? I gotta let a stranger off the street into my house? Oh my gosh. Even I read that, and I'm like, wow, that's, is that what we're supposed to do? The context helps us, right? First of all, it says in verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. So uh, that's a reference to what is happening in, what happened in uh, Genesis 18 and 19 as Abraham and Sarah welcomed the guests. They happened to be angels. So I say, first of all, uh, these strangers can even be angels, right? Um, the second thing is the idea of a stranger entertaining or uh, showing hospitality too is to bring them into our home, and it's not just to say, let me feed you something and have, give you a place to stay, but it's the idea of friendship. Uh, Donald Guthrie, in his commentary, uh, says this, hospitality is a means of friendship. To invite a person to a meal is to extend fellowship to him. What is this saying, really? Leave margin in your life to meet a stranger or someone you don't know to make new friends. And I think this is so important for us as Christians that we leave some margin and space in our life that we can develop new friendships. Some of us are naturally good at that. A lot of us, we have your, you know, you have your three best friends from elementary school. You shared everything together. You let the world know I have three friends and that's it, right? And we share everything and that's, I'm done, I don't have time, I don't have energy, I don't need to add another friend, they're still alive, I'm still here, this is it. But the idea here is to now leave room to make friends with someone, uh, to become friends, hospitality. Whether that is inviting someone into our home, whether that is saying, hey, let's go have a meal. You know, why was Jesus... Um, having food with sinners looked down upon because he, it was identifying, saying, we're their friends, right? And so he's saying, become friends with them. Hey, it might be, let me take you out for coffee. Let me hear your story. I want to get to know about your life. It might be opening up your home. There's a great article um, that was written uh, by Jen Wilkin and the Gospel Coalition, and you could Google that and find that, but uh, she talks about the difference of entertaining, and she says we are in the age of entertaining versus hospitality. And simply she uh, concludes, entertaining seeks to impress others, hospitality seeks to bless others. Now today, if you're like me and my family, we like watching these home renovation shows or home shopping shows, and we always go, oh my gosh, if we move to that part of the country, we could live on an acre, oh my gosh, and we, we always talk about that. Honey, we should move to Texas, right? Um, and uh, wow, we could have acres and acres. And what are they, they always walk around. And I know it's somewhat scripted, it's supposed to be reality, but what do they do? The, the people say, oh my gosh, this is great room for entertaining. Right now it's become kind of a custom. It's like, well, it's normal. And at the end of it, they kind of have their friends, their five friends or three friends and their mom and dad and they're feeding them a burger. What a great place to entertain. And everyone that's there is saying, wow, what a nice house. What a nice view. And the husband and wife are like, yeah, you know, yes. You know, and the guy's like, yes. And the designer's like, yes. You have won now their praise. The difference, hospitality, is not about 
impressing someone with your goods. Hospitality is about the other person. How can I bless you? I don't really care what you think about my house. I don't really care what you think about my cooking. I just want to now give you something. And the church is called to do this in this way. To now hand over, to give over what we might think is so important. You know, there's a story of an elderly couple. On a stormy night, they come into this little motel, hotel uh, years back, and they're seeking a room. And the uh, man behind the counter says, you know what, all the rooms are full. We're so sorry. And this elderly couple, they don't know what to do. It's late at night. So they say, do you know if any of the other hotels have any rooms? And he says, you know what, there's no rooms available. I know right now it's really busy. But the man behind the counter pauses for a moment. He looks at this elderly couple in the middle of the night and it's raining. And he says, well, I know what I could do for you because I have my own room here. Why don't you stay in my own room? You're the guest. You know, I, I want you to feel comfortable. And they are reluctant at first, but then they give in and they're able to now sleep at the hotel in the employees' quarters. And the elderly general, uh, a couple thanks him a lot and, and gets his name and so on, and they leave, and a few, weeks later, a few weeks later, he gets now a letter in the mail. And the letter is sent to him, and it has included in the letter uh, a round-trip ticket to New York. And the man that had sent this letter, his name was William Waldorf Astor. He had bought the original and created the original uh, Waldorf Astoria Hotel. And he says, I'm going to offer you a job you can't refuse. We need someone like you to come and show hospitality. Um, And we are called to live in this way. And the last group of people here that's mentioned are those who are mistreated because of their faith. So uh, you read verse 3, says, remember those who are in prison. It's not so much that all of you now, um, every weekend should go visit a prisoner, right? It's not so much you should become a chaplain or go into the local jail system. There's room for that, obviously. But that's not the call here. These are people who have been mistreated because of their faith. When you go back to Hebrews chapter 11, there are people being persecuted, and he is saying to the church, don't forget these people. Don't let that phrase of out of sight, out of mind happen to you. These are your, and then he gives us the theological truth, since you also are in the body, you are one body. And those who are suffering, those who are in prison, those who are hurting, Don't just say, oh, well, out of sight, out of mind. I can't get anything from them, so see you. He says, no, remember them. The word remember here, uh, one commentator says, is more than simply to call to mind. It's not just say, let's call to mind and remember their face. But it's the idea of identifying with. When you remember someone, you identify with. Counselors call this empathy. I step in their shoes. I try to understand them. And so there are those who are struggling, those who are ill, those who are hurting around us. Someone's not been to church in two, three weeks. Before we jump to a conclusion, oh, they're just watching football or being bad or something. We don't know what's going on. To go and say, what is happening and I want to remember you. I think it's so important because why? The theological truth is you are part of this body um, and Paul tells us, right, in 1 Corinthians 12, 21 and on, I just want to read a few verses here. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. 
Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Later on it says, right, in verse uh, 25, there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is us. This is the beauty of the church. And we respond to those who are in need by saying, what can I give versus what can I take? Because the gospel message that has saved all of us is all about the one who has given to us, to the one who deserves nothing, he has given to us unmerited favor, declared us righteous. And as people who sing and people who follow the creed of the Lord Jesus Christ dying for me, and I'm going to emulate him, I run towards those who I cannot take from, but that I have to give to. And this is the call of the church. How are we going to win the world we live in today in 2019 to the church? I think it's the same as it happened in the second century. The unity that happens here. And the love of those who are struggling and hurting to make it happen here. That God would be glorified in the church through the way we treat all the people around us. We love because he first loved us. Let's pray.